Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here it is, your Sunday, February 14th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody. I hope you have a great Valentine's Day uh, amidst a global pandemic, but I digress. Here's what's coming up in this episode. Uh, we're going to look at the first 13 games of this season and compare it to the first 13 games of last season, and we're also going to get to Twitter questions. And I have good news to start the podcast, news that I love. See what I did there? Uh, happy Valentine's Day. Now, this is great news because yesterday, no new flyer names were added to the COVID protocol list. That is good news. It doesn't mean they're out of the woods. It doesn't mean that they'll be back on the practice ice Monday, but it does mean that, hey, no new names were added. So we're moving in the right direction. If you get two days of no new names, perhaps they are back on the practice ice on Monday as has been planned. And then Tuesday and Wednesday and back for their first game in what will be 12 days on Thursday against the New York Rangers and perhaps in Tahoe on Saturday to take on the Washington Capitals. Uh, We're reaching that point where if the Flyers are unable to get back on the ice, the league will have to make some sort of decision on Tahoe. Uh, But as of right now, it is all signs to point to go and hopefully the Flyers will be there uh, a week from yesterday. That's the good news. So uh, great to see that no new names were added uh, to the COVID protocol list. Seven names in total, Travis Sanheim, Claude Drew, Justin Braun, uh, Scott Lawton, Jake Voracek, and also Oscar Lindblom uh, on that COVID protocol list. And hopefully everybody is doing well. And uh, if they have actually contracted COVID-19, that they're moving in the right direction and, and feeling well and uh, on the way to recovery. So we'll see how that plays out over the next couple of uh, days. And hopefully, like I said, uh, the team gets back on the ice coming up on Monday. We all miss the game, the sport, the team and uh, competing in this season where they are 13 games into the season. So let's look at those first 13 games and kind of look back at the 13 games last year as well and compare them. Also some individual performances as well. We had Steve Coates on the other day, and we talked to Bill Meltzer about this too. Maybe the most amazing part of the fact that the team is 8-3-2 and two through the first 13 games is that they've done it, done it with uh, Sean Couturier only playing two full games and two shifts of another game. Uh, he's your most important player because of all the boxes that he checks. I've gone through this before, from penalty kill to power play, your top-line center that is a shutdown center, so uh, tries to limit the amount, the top line of your opposition, what they can accomplish in a game. Not only that, but he's about a point-per-game player, and he gives it to you all. He kills penalties. Like I said, he plays power play. He, he really checks a lot of boxes. So the fact that they're 8-3-2 and two through their first 13 games without Sean Couturier is a great thing. And you saw in the game that he came back in uh, before the pause against the uh, Washington Capitals, he started the game on the fourth line. They wanted to assimilate him slowly. And then as, as the game went on into the third period, they put him back with the top line, and he had two goals and an assist in the game. Um, he had the go-ahead goal, which turned out to be the game winner, and they really limited the Caps and their opportunities in that third period. They just look like a different team when Sean Couturier is on the ice. And it's not a surprise. He is an incredibly impactful player. I know people and fans in Philadelphia – some don't feel like he's a star player. He's a star player. He's just not a flashy player. Uh, but he is as good a hockey player as you'll find in the NHL. He's not Connor McDavid. He's not Austin Matthews. He's he's not a player like that. But those players aren't 
are also not what he is. They don't play the 200-foot game the way he does. They may be more skilled offensively where he's more skilled defensively, but he's still a good offensive player. So that, that's one of the most amazing parts of it. Now this year, like I said, the Flyers are 8-3-2 through their first 13 games of the season. They have 18 points. And look, it is a little bit different. It's hard to compare year to year because, you know, last year they started off in the Czech Republic against the Chicago Blackhawks. And then they traveled all the way back home and took on the New Jersey Devils before going on a Western Canadian trip to Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton. So it's not apples to apples. And this year you're playing only only the teams in your division and you're playing, you know, teams in sets. So you got Pittsburgh in here for the first two. They were both in Philadelphia and then Buffalo. Then you went to Boston for two and New Jersey for two. So, and then you came back and you took on the Islanders for two at home and then Boston. And then they had the one road game against uh, Washington before uh, they got tied up here in COVID protocol. So it is not apples to apples, but it's apples to oranges. It's not apples to tennis rackets. It's not that drastic of a difference. And through the first 13 games last year, uh, again, 18 points through 13 this year, Last year, they had 14 points through their first 13 games of the season. They had a record of 6-5-2 and two, and 14 points. Um, they had some you know, lopsided losses in the beginning of last year as well. They had a 6-3 loss, and they also had a 7-1 loss to Pittsburgh in that first 13 games. Uh, the, the games that they lost in overtime or the shootout, uh, they lost one the 13th game of the season, 4-3 to three, uh, to Toronto at home. And they also lost the third game of the season, the first of that road trip, 3-2 to two to Vancouver. That road trip was a tough one for them. Uh, they lost all three games to Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton. And then they lost when they got back home against the Dallas Stars 4-1. to one. So they had some lopsided losses in the beginning of the year. They've had a couple lopsided losses at the beginning of this year. Uh, they got beat by Boston 6-1. to one. They got beat by Buffalo 6-1. to one. They had a seven, They've got a 7-4 win in the first 13 games this year. And last year... Oddly enough, they have a seven. They had a seven-four win early in that season against Columbus as well. Um, so the thing, the seasons kind of resemble resemble each other in some ways, but without Sean Couturier this year, they're still four points ahead pacing wise than they were through thirteen last year. Now the beginning of last year t- as well, uh, well, the schedule this year, real quick, has been more difficult as well. They've only played four games against non-playoff teams in the first thirteen this year that were non-playoff teams last year in the top eight, not the 24-team field. Uh, And then last year they opened up and they played six non-playoff teams. So the schedule's been harder this year, and they're pacing themselves ahead of where they were last year. And it was obviously the first year of Elaine Vigneault a season ago, and that took some time as well. That's part of the equation. But a few players in particular, year to year, through their first 13 games uh, from last year and this year, um, the one guy you got to think of right away is James Van Riemsdyk. Now, in the 2019-20 season, the first 13 games, he had a decent start. He had three goals and three assists, six points in the first 13 games. This year, in 13 games, seven goals and 11 assists and 18 points, well over a point-per-game player. Claude Giroux last year, in the 19-20 season, through his first 13 games, he had three goals, six assists, and nine points. This year in 2021, one goal and 10 assists for 11 points. So a little bit better from a total points perspective, um, just the one goal, um, but he's not a goal scorer, and he's a guy that's going to drive offense for you uh, by creating, not necessarily by scoring. Um, so, But 11 points. He's pacing better as well year to year. Jake Voracek, uh, in the 19-20 season through his first 13 games, uh, he had four goals and seven assists for 11 points this year. 
three goals and nine assists for 12 points. So slightly ahead of where he was a year ago. Joel Farabee is obviously a huge one. I mean, the entire 1920 season, he had eight goals and 13 assists uh, for 22 points. This year, uh, or 21 points rather, I'm not that good at math. This year, through the first 13 games, six goals, six assists, 12 points. Just about a point per game player. It's it's pretty astounding. It's easy to see why the Flyers have a record of eight three and two and eighteen points through their first thirteen this year, and then last year uh, through the first thirteen a record of six five and two. So it, they're off to a good start. And and this is again without Couturier with except for the two games and their process not being great. It portends well for the team going forward. I hope I didn't lose y'all with all those numbers. Let's get to some Twitter questions here on this episode of Flyers Daily. Um, I put out a tweet. You know, there's not a lot going on right now in the NHL in regards to the Flyers. They haven't played and they're kind of just waiting around and uh, until they can get back out there. Hopefully that is just in the next couple of days. And, and the good news that we started off the show with was that the Flyers uh, did not add any new names yesterday to the COVID protocol list. So let's get to some questions. We start out with the egg. Um, who, by the way, he had just kind of tweeted me with this cool story that he was in the the airport not long ago in the Tampa airport. This was before the pandemic, and asked the guy sitting next to him at the airport if he could watch his bags. And he looked over, and it was Bob Clark. <laughs> Very cool. He had a good picture with him as well. Um, great story, the egg. Uh, he says, "How does this work in the NHL? At my work, it's two weeks or more you are out if you are exposed to COVID." He said, "I guess if they test negative twice, they can get back on the ice." Well, yeah. The, the difference here is that. NHL players, they get tested every day. You and I, the egg, and, and just about everybody else that is not a professional athlete, if we're exposed, we get one test. You know, in a couple of days after our exposure, we don't get tested every day. Uh, so if they have a successive period of time where they have negative tests, then they can get back out with their team. Um, so it would prove that through a certain period of time that even though they were exposed, they did not contract COVID-19, at least on that occasion. Uh, movie fan tweets in and says, how long does Claude, Jake, etc., have to stay on the list for? Any chance they get back guys back for Thursday if they play? Again, it all depends. I don't know if, if those guys are even infected. We don't. We know that they're in COVID protocol. The whole thing's kind of vague um, from an outward standpoint. We don't get a ton of information. Somebody obviously tested positive. People were exposed to that, to that positive tested player. I don't know if it's one player. I don't know if it's six of the seven names. So uh, it all depends on how many days of negative tests they have, if they contracted it, or if they were just exposed. So it's a really hard question to ask. Uh, Mike H. tweets, and he says, Part of me thinks they postponed all of these games so that the Lake Tahoe games wouldn't be affected, and I'm okay with that. I think that that may have been a part of it, but I think this is more, Mike, that the NHL is learning from itself, that it takes a couple of days. It could take upwards of five days from exposure, seven days from exposure for not only you to show symptoms or but also for you to test positive and for you to be able to transmit it to other people. So I think this is the league uh, doing their best to try and keep the positive tests to a minimum when they are in this situation because we saw what happened with New Jersey and Buffalo. I mean, New Jersey had 17 players test positive at one point because there is a lag and not every person develops – um, the, the positive result in a test on the same schedule as everybody else. So I think it's more the league, but I I think the, the, the Tahoe thing may have been a small part of it, but I think this is the league more cost-correcting itself. 
David uh, Skutnik tweets in. He says, I'm guessing a few more days, but I don't think they play Thursday. League will do everything they can to protect the Tahoe game. I, if they're back at practice on Monday and they don't have any other cases pop, then they will be playing on Thursday. Um, I, the, the league would like them to play on Thursday before the game in Tahoe. And if there's not more positive tests, there's no reason to hold them out. So I, I think that if they're cleared, if they practice Monday, if they practice Tuesday, if they practice Wednesday, they're playing Thursday against the New York Rangers. All right, next question comes from John Morrison, John S. Morrison. He says, Jason, what do you think needs to happen for Mark Friedman's game for him to crack the top six? Well, I think an injury first or a player being pulled out of the lineup because he's not playing well will, get, will be how he gets his next opportunity. Um, but when he gets into the top six, I, I think that he just needs to play a little bit simpler. He needs to play a little bit more disciplined. He hasn't seen a lot of ice so far this year. Um, and he just needs to, to to be a little smarter when he's playing. I think that maybe he was a little amped up when he got in there. Mark Friedman's are usually a very calm player, good skater. Uh, the, you know, the, It's not like being in the NHL is overwhelming to him. But I just think he needs to get in and, and play his game. And if he is able to do that, he can help this team. I don't know that he's a top six guy at this point for the organization anyway. Uh, but if he gets in there, that would be his way to stay in the lineup should he get the opportunity. Bob Haynes says, what do you think uh, Myers can play top pair? Phil Myers can be a top pair defender. It would be easier to get a second pair defenseman to play with Sanheim than to acquire a top pair guy. Bob, you're so right. It's a great point. And th- the thing is, is, you know, with a young top pairing left side defender and Ivan Provorov, you'd like a veteran there. And... While Meyer's development has been on a very steep curve, his development has been pretty meteoric is, is a way I could kind of term it. I just don't know that you're putting his continued development in the best position if you put him on the top pair. He's a right shot. He's a great skater. He's a big physical player. He still has some areas of his game that he needs to be better with, and that's recognition after activating in the offensive zone, you know, taking himself out of position at times. He's still a young player in the league, so I, I would prefer to find a right shot top pairing D, but but like you said, Bob, and it's a great point, that it's easier to find a top four D-man than it is a top two D-man that can play 24 to 26 minutes a night, uh, along with Ivan Provorov. That's a right shot, <laughs> so uh, your your point makes is, is well taken. Uh, Logan G says, can you break down how this pause will affect players and if this is beneficial so early in the season, will there be any rescheduled games before the week or after the season is over? Uh, yeah, you got to see how they reschedule these games, how many NHL games are missed uh, between now and the end of the regular season and how they're able to reschedule them. Uh, but th- this this could affect some players positively. Uh, guys like Travis Konechny who can get a chance to just catch his breath, Oscar Lindblom, uh, Nolan Patrick, other players have a chance to just kind of collect themselves. Sean Couturier, who was coming back from an injury, gives him a little bit more time to get his body uh, in better shape and and recovered from the injury that he dealt with, and Phil Myers as well. But, you know, there's players like Joel Farabee, and there's players like James Van Riemsdyk who didn't want to break. When you're on a heater and you're playing great, you want game, 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 game. You don't want practice. You want game after game because you don't want – anything to to slow down the momentum you've built into your season. So we'll see how it affects these players. See if guys that are that were playing really well, if they can continue to do that and pick it right back up, or guys that were struggling, if they can, you know, get their game in order and maybe the break does them uh, some some good 
and a chance to catch their breath, like I said. Uh, Peter Giordano says, uh, do you think this short pause with COVID protocols will mess up the team chemistry they were building and the momentum they were creating after beating Washington? If so, do you think they can easily get back on track? I think that they were taking steps, and they weren't huge leaps towards getting their game back, but they were taking marginal steps to getting elements of their game back in order. Uh, I think that if they're able to get back on the ice on Monday and get three days of practice, I think that'll help. So, And th- they need to get back on track, and the players and the coaching staff know what they need to do, and we'll see if they're, they're able to accomplish that when they do eventually get back to playing games and in the rhythm of a season. Uh, Christian Junta tweets in and says, it seems the Flyers, Bruins, and Caps are going to be three playoff teams in the East. Who do you anticipate being the fourth team, and do you think one of the Flyers, Bruins, or Caps will miss the playoffs? If I had to handicap it now, I would say that those three teams are as close to a lock at the quarter pole of a season as you can get. So who's going to be that fourth team? That's a really interesting question. So you look at the the possibilities. I guess you could say technically it's five teams that are vying for one spot. Uh, I don't see it that way. I don't see five teams vying for the spot because I don't think New Jersey is going to be a team that can sustain. Uh, I don't think Buffalo is a team that can sustain. Maybe the Rangers, even though that they have a 4-6-3 and three record and they've had a pretty tough start, Miko Zibanejad hasn't scored. A, I think he's got one goal. They've, the Rangers have also lost three straight. They may be a team that can get it pointed in the right direction and contend, but it obviously that's unlikely in my opinion at this point. But Pittsburgh and the Islanders are probably the two teams. And if I'm picking one of those two teams as they're currently constructed, I'll take the New York Islanders over the Pittsburgh Penguins. I don't like the Penguins in net. I don't like that they're really banged up too. There's a lot of elements of their team I don't like. But with Ron Hextall there and Brian Burke as the new president of hockey operations, I think they're they're if it makes sense, they're gonna push a lot of chips in to go for it one last time and then go back into some sort of rebuild. So we'll see. We'll see. But I would pick the Islanders to answer your question. Um, K. Brown Philly says, uh, what do you make of Carter Hart's struggles on the road so far in his career? And I thought that was a really interesting question. So a good question to wrap up Twitter questions on. So I did some research. Um, and this is something I've brought up before. Carter Hart struggles on the road are totally overinflated. Now, why is that? Okay, so let's look at 2019-20, last season. And this is why the narrative is there. In 18 games on the road last year, he had a record of 4-10-1. Not very good. A save percentage of 857. Really not very, very good. Uh, goals against average of 3.81. Okay, so that's in 18 games. Again, record of 4-10-1 on the road. Did not have a good year on the road. And at home last year, in 25 games played, he had a record of 23-2. and two. Absurd. A save percentage of 943 and a goals against average of 1.63. That's incredible numbers at home. That's one of the best home goalie records in Flyers history. Okay, so that's last year, the sample size of last year. His rookie year, it's odd. In the 2018-19 season, now he played less games on the road. He played 10 games on the road last year, uh, or two years ago. Last year, he played 18. But in the 10 games he played on the road in his rookie year, he went 5-4-0 and with a 9.28 save percentage and a 2.48 goals against average. This is his rookie year. At home, 
He went 11-9-1 with a 9-12 save percentage and a 2-9-8 goals against average. So he gave up a half a goal less on the road in his rookie year, and he also had a save percentage that was 16 points higher on the road in his rookie year. And last year, it was upside down. But why was it upside down? It was upside down because of a couple of really bad games where he got touched up really a lot. You know, he, he was in a game where he gave up six goals at the HP Pavilion against the Ducks on 29 shots. He had a 793 goals against average in that game. That skews the number. And he had some other, you know, when they're the beginning of the, of the season, when they made that trip out west and over the holiday, he did not have, uh, you know, good numbers in those games. And when you look at it, you know, part of that is he wasn't his best in those games, but also that his team wasn't very good in those games. So I, I think this whole notion that he his road play is so much, you know, farther behind his home play is is a bit inflated. I, I really don't think there's a story there. And again, in his rookie year, he was better on the road. It's He's only been in the league two years. This is his third season competing in the NHL. So it's still a small sample size. But overall, one year he was better on the road than he was at home. Significantly better. A 928 save percentage to a 912, that's significant. And then year two, the, the significance and the, and the difference between home and road was flipped the other way. And he had a great home season last year. So before I'm ready to say he's got any issue on the road or he's got any issue at home or anything, um, I need a lot more data. I don't think there's a whole lot of evidence that supports that argument just yet. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, But I appreciate the question as well. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of Flyers Daily. We're back tomorrow with another brand new episode. And hopefully it'll be the day the Flyers get back on the ice, get back practicing, and get ready for a game coming up on Thursday against the New York Rangers. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you on tomorrow's episode of Flyers Daily.